Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or if you're just feeling stuck about what to do next, you've come to the right place. Every week, I sit down with a creative entrepreneur to discuss the who, what, and why of their journey. If you like this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Today, I'm sitting down with Mark Drager, who's the founder of Fanta Media and the host of the We Do Hard Things podcast. Mark, hello. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I am amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that is wonderful. And thank you so much for joining me. I truly appreciate it. Yeah. Well, listen, whenever someone says, how you doing, what do you want to say? You want to say, I'm okay. I'm great. And I found that if you make it, if you bring the energy, yeah. it elevates everyone. So, <laughs> I am amazing. <laughs> It's a great strategy. I love it. Okay. So uh, I gave you a little bit of a, like an intro, but for my audience who is less familiar with you and your work, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Yeah. In simplest terms, uh, I, I have two faces. I'm a brand strategist. I help people figure out who they are, uh, who they want to connect with, what their audiences care about, what their competition is doing, how to stand out. So that's the brand strategy side of things. And then I'm also a professional host and I call myself a conversationalist because um, frankly, I love holding space where like this, we can get together and, and everyone who's listening can help be a part of this moment and to explore new ideas and challenging ideas. And so two sides of me, professional MC host, conversationalist and a brand strategist. Great, great, great. Uh, and I want to get into both of those. Before we do, I want to take a little step back. So what initially got you interested in brand strategy? Yeah, it was an evolution, I think, like like most of us creatives. And it's interesting because I didn't consider, consider myself a creative until about a year ago. And I'm turning 40. <laughs> but enough people in my life told me that I was creative. And enough, I, I, I spent enough time building businesses that were creative. Mm -hmm. But uh, when I was young, I wanted to be an architect and I wanted to be an engineer and an architect. And I grew up in a construction family and I would spend time like as a young boy building with my Lego, trying to figure out how to build the different spaces. So that way you could build multi-story structures and have windows. And I used to build, I used to draw floor plans on chart paper and I used to love space and I still do space and light and eye lines and color and environment. Mm -hmm. And then Right before university, I, I was failing. Well, not failing, but to me, it was failing. I was getting a C when I was an A student. I was getting a C in chemistry, and I got really scared, and I just went to film school instead. I thought film would be easier. And so I went to film school to become an editor and become a documentary storyteller. Mm -hmm. And I loved that in film, as an editor, you can manipulate moments. You could take something that kind of happened, but you could actually draw it out, change time, change pace, change perspective. You can shift it to impact the audience the way you wanted. And that led me to television, which led me to corporate, which led me to starting my agency. And so that's how I ended up getting into brand strategy because at its core, 
when people come to you for a website, for a video, for a, um, a logo, whatever it is, mm-hmm. they don't want the thing you're giving them. They want they want the outcome. They they want they want to use the logo to establish a brand so they stand out so they can sell more, right. or they want to use the video so they can create a deeper connection with someone so they can impact and shape minds or hearts or whatever it is. They want the outcome. And so at its core, no matter what area you are in the creative world, if you're doing it for business, which I was, eventually you kind of have to become a strategist because people want to make sure that what you're creating is going to be effective. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> so I, I want to unpack one, one of those moments that you, you mentioned. And so you went to film school and then you were working as a videographer. First, you said first as a freelancer, then for corporate, and then started this company. So that moment where you were then working in a cor- for a corporation as a videographer and then decided, I'm going to start my own company. What made you want to make that decision? What was that like? Yeah, I, um, I was making $45,000 a year and my wife, my wife and I got married very young. She was 21, I was 22. Uh, we were expecting our first daughter. We had her when I was 23. And the week she was born, I turned to my wife and I said, you know, our household income was my income, 45 grand a year living in Toronto, Canada, you know, kind of like living in Manhattan, very expensive area. And we were scraping to get by. And I thought, if I did this for one company and I was killing myself and I felt like I outgrown my my role and that there wouldn't be any future development. But if I could do this for one company, imagine if I did it for 10. We're going to make so much money. <laughs> Now, it did. <laughs> that was my pitch. My pitch sure. to her, you know, brand new daughter, wife not working. I'm going to quit my job because we are going to make so much money. And guess what? The very first year, I made $18,000. I made so little money that the government put us on social assistance because we were living so far below the poverty line that they were like, how could a, <laughs> how could a young couple with a, with a family possibly survive? So uh, eventually I turned it around, you know, after yeah. a few years and after the Great Recession and after I figured stuff out. But, but that was my pitch, more money. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> well, at least it worked, I guess, in the moment. Um, so, but, so, but talk to me that about, so your first year, you're making less than half of what you were making for the corporate world. What was that? I mean, so you were trying to take on more clients. Did you, going into this, did you create a, you know, a business plan or, or a guide for yourself to get multiple clients? Or how were you thinking about that in the <laughs> that early days? Smart. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's the thing. It's like, I never do anything. None of us ever do anything without a reason. Mm-hmm. And even if we think it's a good reason, it may not be. We may learn later it was terrible, but we always do everything for a good reason. And I created a really strong business case. So when I was working in corporate for this, for this franchise, we were doing a lot of work we shouldn't have been doing. There was no checks. There was no balances. We would spend two months on a project that would get ha- canceled halfway through. We would, um, we, would, we would spend all this time on one department that frankly wasn't driving any business goals while another department's project sat on standby. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the CEO who I had become friendly with. And, um, and I'm so glad I worked in, in this corporate role because I learned so much in a very safe environment. But I approached him and I said, listen, let me leave. It makes no sense to have me on salary. Let me leave, outsource all the work that you're doing to me. Let me take the equipment with me and, um, and I will work off, I will do work and trade to pay for the equipment. And 
um, I'll, I'll leave with my first customer, which is you. And you'll have the ability to put some some checks and balances around this work because right now there's no b internal budgets tied to it. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I leave and you have to spend money on it, people are going to start questioning and scrutinizing whether we should do this or not. And he's like, I love that idea, right? He gets people off payroll. Um, he lets me leave. He lets me start my dream, which is amazing. And and I so thank him for taking that chance on me. Here was the problem. We put so <laughs> as soon as we put budgets to things, they paused every single project. Uh. <laughs> so three months in, the reason I wasn't making money is like th I anticipated like, hey, we're going to do like 10 grand a month, let's say, or we're like, we're going to we're going to do something. And this was my first client. Yeah. And again, remember, the pitch was like, like if we did for 10, it's going to be amazing. Well, the first client just didn't really do very much work and I didn't have a plan on how to get more yet. So <laughs> that's it. That was, that's that it. was how I started. That's how yeah. I built a multi-million dollar agency eventually. <laughs> yeah. That's, <laughs> I, I love hearing these early stories. Okay. So, okay. So that was year one. How did you land client number two? So about, but so, so I launched in January and by uh, and I got a little project here. You know, we designed a landing page there. Like we were doing all this work. We were focused on video, but we were doing all this work that that just just to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. And by May, uh, it had become clear that this twenty thousand dollar line of credit that my mom had taken out. So I had all this free equipment because I was going to work it off. Right. Wasn't working it off. Wasn't getting any money. And my mom kind of let me use a twenty thousand dollar line of credit. And we were blowing through it because I had to pay like rent. Um, right. and so, uh, by May, I realized I'm about to be bankrupt. So I hired a business coach and this business coach said, Mark, you're kind of a likable guy, right? Like, like you, you, you kind of wear your heart on your sleeve and you're kind of likable and you should probably use that to your advantage. Like, you know, play to your strengths. Jimmy Carr, a great comedian says that the, that the world is full of people with curly hair who have hair straighteners. Right. If you got curly hair, play to the curly hair. You know, if you're and so play to your strengths. People seem to like you. Yeah. Go to those people in your network and just say, Hey, I started this business. My wife isn't working. I quit my job. My daughter is only now five months old. We haven't made any money. Um, do you have anything you can give me? Any projects at all? And let me tell you, did I feel like a loser doing that? But it was the best thing I could do reaching mm -hmm. out to the people and saying, listen, like, like I just want to work. I, like, I'm not asking for, for charity. I'm asking for you to give me something so I can help you. Is there anything? And through my network, I got connected and I got this little project with one of our national banks. And we did this little project for barely any money. And then my business coach said, take them out for lunch. Take them out for lunch. So I took the contacts out for lunch and I said, hey, I just started this company and my wife's at home and where my daughter's on and it's not going so well. Is there anything? And they gave me a referral. And that referral was with me for 10 years. That referral became the pro like it, it became like a 30 to $50,000 a year client that we would just do work and work and work with. But then it became a second department and a third department. And because it was with a national bank, I could leverage that in my portfolio as credibility. And, and it, it literally all started with that lunch that I took people out to like, like to get just like to basically say, Hey, I'm this young guy. Is there anything you can do for me? Wear my heart on my sleeve. Uh, almost feel like I'm begging for work. And they're like, well, I kind of want to help you out. You seem like a nice guy in earnest. And that, that was what we built everything off of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So, okay. So since then, you've also done a number of um, podcasts, YouTube shows. Right now you're doing We Do Hard Things podcast. So talk to me about that part of your career. What made you want to get into podcasting YouTube? And then talk to me about the We Do Hard Things podcast. For sure. So one thing that I think anyone who's listening, anyone who's an entrepreneur or business owner, or even as a creative, you spend a lot of your time doing the things that you have to do, hoping that you'll do the things you want to do one day. Mm-hmm. You know, if you work in a factory job for your pension, and I know lots of people who do that, they're not happy going to work every day, but they're working so that way one day they can maybe do the things that they want. As an entrepreneur, business owner, what have you, you spend 90% of your time doing the things that you have to do so that way hopefully you can spend 10% of your time doing the things you want to do. And none of us got into business. None of us took on all the risks. None of us pursued our creative passions so that way we could spend a fraction of our time doing the things that feed our souls. We all got into this so we could spend the majority of our time doing the things that light us up, fire us up, and feed our souls. And so when I first got into podcasting back in uh, like 2013 or 14 or what have you, it was because it's like, I just, <laughs> I just want to do stuff I love. I've been listening to podcasts since like 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love the medium. I love connecting with people. I love talking. And so I just wanted to create something for, for an audience, for anyone. And so I did uh, the Not So Corporate podcast was my first podcast, which was really focused on helping video people scale businesses. Uh, the second one I did was with my friend, my really good friend, Evan Carmichael. Um, I don't know if people know him or not, but he's a YouTuber and he has, you know, 4 million subscribers and he produces all of this content that's, that's really in the thought leadership or motivation space. And we did that for two years. We called it something to prove. And really along the way, I wanted to be able to connect with, uh, with tougher and harder people. And during the pandemic, what I started to realize is as a creative, I was surrounding myself with all these business people, all these strategists, all these operations people, all these people that I looked to. And I always felt like I was kind of soft and romantic. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I would get so caught up in the way things should be. Like things should be this way. Like things shouldn't be this hard. And and why do I have to work this hard? And shouldn't things get easier? And like I just got caught up in all of these romantic notions, whereas all of my friends were very operations focused or hustle focused or A types. And they'd be like, just do it. And I go, yeah, but I, I can't bring myself to just do it. And they're like, no, you don't, you, you just, you know, rah, 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 go, 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 do it. And it's like hustle, hustle hard. And I'm like, I just, I, that's not me. And so, I just, I work slower and I feel my way through things and I wish I could have all these things. So We Do Hard Things was really kicked off by saying, I want to talk to people who have broken free of kind of the corporate structure or really now, I mean, it, it, what it's come down to today is, is pursue your passion at all costs. Mm-hmm. It's always worth pursuing your passion at all costs because you can spend your time, like I said, the person who works for the pension or the person who works for Friday or Sunday night you know, you're like, oh, I got to work tomorrow. And I did that for years, even as an agency owner. I couldn't wait for Christmas break because I could take a two-week hiatus from having to be the person with all the answers. And it's just like, it's no way to live. It's no way to live to earn a paycheck. And I'd much rather spend my time looking at my schedule going, I get to do this today? Or when my phone rings or an email comes in, I don't go like, oh, gosh, I got to answer that email. Instead, I go like, oh, I get to help this person. I get to do this cool thing. And so early on, I said I wanted to be an architect. 
and I love environment and I love light. And that got me into videography and storytelling and whatnot. I hit the point now upon turning, you know, turning 40 next year, but I hit the point in my life where I realized all of those past loves and all those past experiences I still use today. Mm-hmm. So this conversation or the podcast or what I do on stage or the brands we design, they're all feeling based and they're all about sharing a right message and looking the part. And to me, there's no difference between architecture and that. There's no difference between um, creating a really compelling story and drawing people in and the very things we have to do. Because again, I now own the fact, yeah, sure, I'm a romantic at heart. And, and I love the fact that I surround myself with all of these like number, data, you know, hustle people. And I come in and I'm all like, hey, man, you know, like I sound like a hippie to these people. But, but there's more to life. And when you can spend more of your time doing the things you love and less of the time doing the things you have to do, mm-hmm. frankly, your work, your progress, your life, it's just, it's just so much better. But it only comes... And this is the thesis of We Do Hard Things. It only comes from, from actually doing hard things, like having the courage to be yourself, making a statement, you know, that frankly some people won't like, um, cutting the people out of your life that if you have to do that, or having the hard conversations, or maybe taking the sacrifice and pay for a few years, or going back to school, or whatever it is, all the things that society tells you you shouldn't do because life is about starting at A and progressing to, to Z. Mm-hmm. But you know, sometimes halfway through, you have to actually take a bunch of steps back to take a bunch of steps forward. And to me, that's actually the hardest thing I think most of us could do. Mm-hmm. So, so you've said a few, a few things here that I kind of want to dive in deeper with. And, but the, I guess the overall crux of this is, so you, you, know, you start in the beginning in videography and then Again, we're trying to create a life that you wanted. How, as somebody who is, as you as you mentioned before, a little more on the touchy feely side of it, um, I'm used to chatting, also chatting with a type of, of individuals who are very let's create a plan and then let's kind of go with it. But in your own journey, the idea of like of getting what you want and becoming the person who gets to experience your ultimate goals, how? How did you do that ultimately? I mean, obviously in the beginning, there may not have been much of a plan with it as we discussed, but there had to have been some kind of strategy at some point. What, what <laughs> you were think you- think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it feels like anyway. If not, just go with it. There's... <laughs> I spent, uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time doing the yeah. next thing because it made sense to me. Yeah. You know, I have, I, 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 I have this video business and I wanted to be the best at it and I wanted to produce really good work. So I need better people to get better people. I need more income to get more income. I need more revenue, which means I need more clients. Great. Then I got those clients, but there's an issue with service-based business where scaling is really hard. Right. And so suddenly now I needed more team. So which means I needed more clients and then I needed more team and more clients. And, you know, before pandemic, we're over 2 million in revenue, 24 full-time staff. Um, but, but just really not a strong operations, like flying by the seat of our pants. I didn't have enough, uh, you know, account staff. I didn't have proper operations or standard operating procedures because I'm good at figuring out problems on the fly. Turns mm-hmm. out you can't run a multi-million dollar business <laughs> with 24 staff when you're figuring everything out on the fly. People just don't feel comfortable or no, you know, the thing I've heard more than anything else from my team over the years is what's my job description? 
it's like your job description is to do whatever we need to do right now. Like, so, so <laughs> you'd think, you'd think I had a plan and from the outside, it seems successful, but inside, and as much as I am a high achiever and people will say I'm a type or I'm competitive or I'm direct or any of those things, but on the inside, I knew I was falling short of what could be or should be. And so, um, Really, what I realized is the most important question we can ask ourselves at any time, at any moment, every single day, what do you want? And it's really hard to answer. And I know this because for any of us who have worked through a brief with a client, have you, you've worked through a brief, right? And they're like, well, yeah. it'd be great if, and it's vision and it's kind of fuzzy. And you're like, yeah, yeah but what's it going to actually do? And they're like, well, hopefully you're kind of, yeah, but how is it actually going to work? Right. Mm -hmm. And so we experience this all day, every day in our work life where it's like we know that people are really hard at articulating what they want. But have you ever sat with like, what do you actually want? And for me, it's like I have a whole bunch of wants. But but if we just picked one of them out, where it's like, I want to be an amazing dad. I've got four kids. I want to be an amazing dad. Cool. Have I ever asked myself what I would need to do? Like, how would I define an amazing dad? And what would I need to do to be an amazing dad? And what do other people that I look up to, who are those amazing dads? And, you know, if we used a work, like, work experience, like I want to be someone, you know, I want to be someone who is, um, we'll talk about podcasting. Right? Like I want a million subscribers. Okay, cool. The people who have a million subscribers, what did they do to get a million subscribers? How did they act? Who did they hire? What investments did they make of time or money? Where did they kind of get lucky along the way? How did, how did they do it? And then once you understand that, one, it's possible, because most of us don't even define what we want or dream what we want, because we just don't even think it's possible. It's not possible for me, little old Mark, to get a million subscribers, is it? I only have 200 or whatever. Like right now, I have 26,000. Who am I to say I could have a million subscribers? Who, like, why would a million people want to hear my voice, my perspective, what I have to say? So you define what you want. Then you look at other people who have done it to show to yourself that it, it is possible. And then you deconstruct it in whatever level you want. But you just figure out what, the, what they did to get there or how they got there or what they're doing. And then here's the really important thing. You have to ask yourself, are you willing to do what they are willing to do to get it? Last year, I, I did this health challenge where for the first time in my life, I've never exercised up till four years ago. I never really lost weight. I was never dieting. I was never healthy. Four years ago, my wife and I are, are frankly feeling old and we're feeling fat and we're, we're worried that this is it and I'm outgrowing extra large shirts and I'm just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So I never did that, but last year I decided I'm going to do a hard thing. At 39 years old, can I get six-pack abs? I don't know. Can I get six-pack abs? I never mm -hmm. felt attractive in my whole life. Can I, like, I think getting six-pack abs will make me feel pretty darn attractive. So, cool. Can I do this? Okay, so one, has someone else done this before? I did that research. Two, what did they have to do to, to do it? Well, it turns out, you know, like, I would have to get a personal trainer. I'd have to get a nutritionist. I'd have to eat on, on their diet, and I'd have to do what they say and drink a lot of water and... I'd have to follow this structure. And how long would it take? Turns out three months, three months of my life. But the most important question is, am I actually willing to do this? Because mm -hmm. if I'm not willing to do this, I can think about the six-pack abs. If I'm not willing to do this, I can think about the million subscribers. 
I could think about being the best dad. I could research. I could read books. I can watch podcasts. I can watch movies. But if I'm not willing to do it, then it's kind of like, you know, your friend who goes on and on and on and on about the same stuff. And you just want to say, shut the fuck up. Like, just let it go. So like the most important question is, are you willing to do it? And I really wanted it. So I did it. And I actually extended the challenge because my friend Evan Carmichael said that I messed up along the way. And anyway, so I turned it into 120 days. How did you mess up along the way? I'm, I'm curious on that one. Yeah. So I started March 1st of 2021 and my birthday is March 24th mm-hmm. and my nutritionist planned um, because uh, she wanted me to, to, to realize that there's no such thing as good foods or bad foods. It's basically sure. just macros and calories. Yeah. So she bought me a cheesecake on my birthday and said, you're part of, part of this challenge is you're going to eat the cheesecake. Yeah. And I hadn't had sugar in like two years because I was on keto and stuff. And so she was like, I'm going to challenge you. So I, I, I eat the cheesecake and let me tell you, it was the greatest tasting cheesecake ever. <laughs> but, um, cause I was on like 1800 calories a day and then it was 17 and then it was 60. It was like, I was cutting and cutting. I was like, this is the greatest tasting cheesecake ever. But my friend Evan saw it and he's just like, I don't think you're doing this challenge for the right reasons. And you know, I, I never really talked to my wife about the challenge. I didn't talk to my kids. I didn't like talk to anyone. I just, just declared I was going to do this. Mm-hmm. And so he said, you know, like you're, you're doing this the wrong way for the wrong reasons. And if you really want to be proud of yourself at the end, you can muscle your way through it. But if you really want to be able to look back on this and say, that is the person I want to become, that is the person I want to be, that's the standard I want to set, you, you, you'll re, you would reset this 90-day challenge and you'd do it properly. And so it wasn't about the cheesecake. It wasn't about perfection. It was about the fact that, that I kind of jumped into this thing and it was costing a lot of other people in my life um, a lot of sacrifice because I was so focused on it. So then we said, okay, well, let's redo it and do it for the 120 or the 100, whatever, 90 days. But let's do it in a way that actually is sustainable or that, that, that doesn't cost everyone so much because, again, I, I'm the type of guy who gets like very myopic, very focused, and it's like I'm going to do this and sacrifice everything else. Um, but – But the point was that it's like I wanted at the end to be proud. And 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 frankly, I surprised myself. Like I didn't I didn't realize. And then I and then and then on the other side of it, uh, I learned all these hard lessons of once you achieve something that you frankly didn't think you could achieve, that really took a lot of work that you're super proud of. But on the other side of it, when you start to let it go, you start to gain some weight back and you start to eat with your family and friends and you start to exercise a little bit less. Ooh, are you happy with who you are today? So anyway, that's a whole different episode though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is, but I, I'm, but you have brought up an interesting point. So as someone who has, let's say, so creative, higher achievers, um, I know there's a lot of individuals who listen to this podcast who can relate to that, where you're like, my goal is to create, let's say this work of art or this, and then you do it. What do you do now? Like, so then what? So you've, you have yeah. accomplished your goal. Yeah. Now what? Do you ever, because I know that I don't do this. Do you ever like take a moment and, and enjoy the goal you accomplished? You're like, great, I did that. Now on to the next one. How do you like think through this idea of like goals accomplishing the next one and not just go from like, I don't know, chasing the next carrot to the next carrot to the next carrot? I, I think I need to do that more. So, so one thing, like, what do you want? I struggle to define this. And I think most of us do. 
the, the second challenge that uh, I think many of us tend to face is um, once we've achieved that goal, it's like, so I achieved the goal and then I was eating like, and I looked great and I got photos and I feel happy and I'm super proud of my progress. And people are like, you look amazing. The next day I ate like 14,000 calories. <laughs> like I went, I got so sick that I thought in the middle of the night, I woke up and I was looking at my heart rate. My heart rate was like at 120 beats per minute, um, which is like jogging exercise. I thought I'd have to get my stomach pumped. So that wasn't so great, but, but, um, Actually, what happens for me is I don't pick the next thing quick enough. So I, again, when we talk about the A-types and the hustle and the go, 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 I think they don't stop enough to celebrate. Mm-hmm. When I achieve something, I go like, oh, I'm so tired. I just need a break to kind of like catch my breath. And I like, or just like, I was just so much work and I muscled through so much that if I jumped onto the next thing, I'm going to get burnt out. And then there's too much time for the next thing. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's not only am I, am I not great at, at like answering what do I want, which we all need to be able to do. It's realizing that these are things that we have to be able to do forever. So earlier I mentioned how romantic I was and I would ask like, why is it so hard? Well, it's, it's, it's always supposed to be hard, right? Like if you're progressing, you know, people ask like, oh, I have imposter syndrome or how do I get over imposter syndrome? You're supposed to have imposter syndrome. Because if you don't, for a very long time, you're not challenging yourself and you're not growing. Like, frankly, that's just a reaction within your body, within your mind, within your, within your spirit or soul that's saying like, hey, I'm really uncomfortable because I'm doing things I don't think I'm good enough to do. Perfect. You're supposed to do that. So it's always supposed to be kind of hard. And it's always supposed to um, you know, take a lot of energy and a lot of focus and a lot of time and a lot of money. Great things take all of those things. And I would kind of do something and be proud and then wait way too long for the next thing, the next challenge, the next thing I had my eyes set on. And I would kind of forget how awesome I am. I kind of forget what I'm capable of. And I would start to introduce fear and introduce doubt. And then I would feel so bad about myself. I'd go like, I got to pick something and I would do it. And I'd go, I am awesome. I am amazing. I can't believe I just did this. And then I would wait. And then like, so I, for me, and, and I think for, for people who struggle with fear, who struggle with doubt, who struggle with overthinking or second-guessing themselves, or even, I'll even say that I, I struggle with self-esteem, as confident as I might come across, the answer is to just, like, move on to the next thing, move on to the next thing, move on to the next thing. That's what some, something that I'm working to get much, much better at. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, so fear, fear and doubt. So you... Is there, is there a time in that fear and doubt that you sit with it? Or is it really like just to get past it, to move on to the next thing? Or how are you, is there a system that you've kind of developed that helped you work through fear and doubt in this, this prescriptive way? Yeah, what I've gotten, so, so I'm, I'm someone who lives with anxiety. Um, like I, I went and saw a therapist and they yeah. said like, hey, you have anxiety. Uh, GED, generalized anxiety disorder, and and I'm I have chosen not to medicate over it. So, I spend a lot of time focused on um, beating myself up and things like that. But what I'm getting much much better at is realizing and and coming to understand that emotions um, emotions are such a, a great thing because all they are is an indicator. When you're feeling um, really excited, really happy, and in flow and on top of the world and bold and ambitious, 
to me, that's an indicator that you're, you're doing the right things or you're focused on the right things, or that'd be a great time to like make a really big decision. When I, when I decided to do my health challenge, I was feeling bold. Mm -hmm. A week later, I was not feeling bold, (laughs) right? But I had already, I had already told people about the challenge, picked a date, started reaching out to people. Like, so, so for me, when I'm feeling all of those up things, I make sure to take some form of immediate action to build some sort of momentum. So that way, frankly, later, I can't kind of weasel my way out of it, right? Mm -hmm. And and this happens in the moment where it's like, if it's 8.30 at night and I'm kind of tired and I'm like, and I'm going like, oh man, I, you know, I, I could do this. I will send a voice note. I will send an email. I will reach out to like, I will make it happen in the moment. Mm-hmm. But when I'm down, what I, what I, what I'm coming to, to realize and understand and embrace is that, is that it's not a reflection of anything other. It, it's just an indicator, right? Like if you're down, if you're scared, if you're worried, if you're fearful, if, if you have anxiety, if you are concerned, like that might just be performance anxiety, which is your body, your subconscious telling you, you know what, like, you really got to focus more. You really got to pick up the pace. You really, you really should, um, you know, do these things and not do these other things, right? Like, you know, you should really go to bed earlier and get more sleep. So that way you can start the day off better. So that way you can crush work while you're in flow. Mm-hmm. So, so these negative things are not in fact negative. They're just indicators that some of the decisions you've made, some of the things that you're doing, this is your body. This is your mind re- giving you a little indicator saying, hey, something's wrong over here. And if it is wrong, fix it. And if it's not wrong, if it's just your active mind, you can say, you know what? Thank you so much for pointing that out. <laughs> this happened to me last night. We're launching a brand new product. And I was up feeling my heart beating, feeling racing, going like, oh, what about it's taking so long? And, and have I reached out to the affiliates? And what's happening with sales and how are we going to scale the team? And, and is this right? And will we fail? And like, just all of that stuff. And it's like, you know what? All, all, all this is happening is saying tomorrow morning, when you get up, make sure you do something to take some action. Cause you haven't done that in like a week mm-hmm. and that's it. It's just like, I know I haven't done it in a week. I've been too busy. I don't want to let this slide. So this morning I got up, I sent off three emails because I was feeling bold, had my coffee, was feeling good, had a great night's sleep, sent off those emails that were pretty bold requests, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of uncomfortable with it, and, but, but I did that only to this morning because last night I faced the fear, the anxiety, mm-hmm. and I calmed it by saying tomorrow morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take action. Yeah. So, Mark, with everything that you have done and experienced so far, what would you say has been the best advice that you ever received? Um, for me, <laughs> I, I spend all of my time, I think, I, I think it was before we started recording, you were talking about how so much of what we do is kind of for selfish reasons. And we do hard things. Uh, the people I connect with, the people I talk to, I am constantly garnering, garnering advice to try and help me through what I'm facing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one that comes to mind the most is someone told me once, Mark, you just got to chill the fuck out. <laughs> that was a quote, right? Um, and I was like, maybe, maybe that's actually the answer. You know, maybe we can't, we can try and force things to happen in our time the way we want at our pace, the way we think it should go. And we can be disappointed when it doesn't work and when it didn't go the way we wanted and all of that stuff. 
Or maybe we can still arrive at these beautiful, amazing projects, these great outcomes, these great achievements, these things that make us happy. Maybe we can still arrive at these through a different path that we never saw on a different timing that frankly might even be quicker than us forcing everything. And so I'm just really working. <laughs> I'm just chilling the fuck out. <laughs> oh, I, I, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. So, uh, this kind of a beautiful way, I think, to put like a, a good arc on the beginning of our conversation and the end of it. Um, but Mark, thank you so much for, for ch chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to get a hold of you, um, either through your agency or listen to your podcasts, where are the best places they can go to do all of that? Yeah, if you want to connect with me one-on-one, -on -one, head over to Instagram. My handle is at Mark Drager. Uh, if you send me a DM, it's me. I don't have a bot. Uh, I don't have a, I don't have a VA answering. It's me. So just say hi. Uh, and uh, if you want to check out the podcast, head over to YouTube uh, at Mark Drager or any of the standard podcast audio feeds. We do hard things. And if you want to check out the agency, you can go over to Fanta.com. That's P-H-A-N-T-A.com. Wonderful. And I will put all those links in the show notes as well. Uh, but again, thank you so much, Mark. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Blackbones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.